You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. My name is Caleb Galloway. I'm assistant pastor here. And uh, glad that you're with us this morning. I'm actually preaching the sermon I was supposed to preach back in May, but I had laryngitis. And so we're actually looping back to this passage in Ephesians, and we're going to look at it this morning together. Uh, It's been a full but encouraging week as I attended the PCA's 49th General Assembly and very thankful for the work of our denomination and the direction that we're headed in. It's very encouraging both in doctrine and in mission what's going on in the life of our churches. Also, we woke to encouraging news on Friday that our Supreme Court uh, overturned Roe v. Wade. We're very thankful for that. Gave states the power to make laws concerning the protection of the unborn. We're so thankful. A lot of prayers have been prayed. A lot of actions have been taken and words said over the last four decades or more uh, so that this could be the end result. So we're thankful for that. This passage today follows last in the Apostle Paul's directives to household structure and order. If you remember in chapter 5, verse 21, uh, Paul said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he rolls out, what does that look like? And so he gives directives to wives and husbands, to children and parents, and now to slaves and masters. Now your first question you may ask is probably, Caleb, why didn't Paul denounce slavery instead of merely regulating it? I'm going to give my best answer for that, and then we're going to move on to the passage and try to pull a lot of principles from it this morning. Just a few things. First, slavery at the time was a massive institution within the Roman Empire. There are estimates of up to 600 million slaves at that time. So a substantial part of the population. Uh, Most of our modern translations don't use the word slave or slavery. They use bond servants. And so as we read this morning, you'll see that. What the translators were trying to convey is that there's nuance because there's multivaried slavery within that time. One such was uh, when people submitted themselves to a contract of seven years to a master, in which after those seven years, the master freed them and then gave them the wages that the master saved for them. One of the things I do believe that Paul was doing in the New Testament was going against the grain by addressing slaves here, as well as in Colossians 3, 22 through 25, and Titus 2, 9 through 10. And by doing so, he elevates this slave from an undignified person, maybe even seen as a possession that the master had. He elevates this from merely property, these people who may have been seen as property to a dignified member of the Christian household. They were to be treated as human beings created in the image of God Almighty. One of the things, slavery back then was very different from what we understand in modern slavery in America, so it's multifaceted. More than this, Paul in other places lifts slaves into an even higher plane Not only are they image bearers of God, if they believe in Jesus, they are in Christ. Listen to Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's point here is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all one in Christ, no matter your station. 
Last and most forcefully, Paul, I believe, pushes even harder against the institution of slavery in his letter to Philemon, which was written about the same time uh, as Ephesians, as Paul was sitting in jail in Rome, as well as Colossians. This is where Paul urges Philemon to free his slave Onesimus, to set him free for the sake of the gospel and in light of the gospel. In any case, slavery is a despicable institution, is not to be practiced by Christians nor anyone. In fact, we should speak against all forms of slavery that still exist in the dark corners of life today. In the annals of human history, there are countless atrocities that have been committed by masters against slaves. No human being is to be owned nor mistreated. All humans are created in the image of God and are due the dignity of freedom. This is what we believe. Now I want to look at this passage today because we have to ask, if we approach the passage, we're not slaves, but how do we glean something from the passage in our present day life? That's what we try to do with every passage. How do we apply it? What does it mean for us? And that's important. There are many things to pull from this passage, and and in fact, it's multi-layered. There's much here, much more than I first thought before I started studying the passage today. The questions I want to ask this morning is, why do you do what you do? What motivates you? How much do you live for the approval of others around you? Let's read and pick up in verse 5 of chapter 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you that we are not left in the dark to figure out how to live life. We praise you that when we see ourselves struggle with such concepts and issues and sin as people-pleasing and doing things for eye service to men, you speak in liberation. You not only speak and jolt us awake, but you give the spirit and power to live for freedom. We know, Father, that Galatians 5, 1 says it's for for freedom that Christ has set us free. We know you, Lord Jesus, said is the truth shall make you free and you'll be free indeed. So, Lord, as we encounter your truth this morning, take it. Use it, Lord Jesus, in our hearts. Holy Spirit, teach us. You are the great teacher. Take my five loaves and two fish and multiply them in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. Counselor Ed Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small, shares his first realization of people pleasing and the fear of man. It happened when Ed was a senior in high school. He was up for a major award along with his classmates, and they were going to announce the winner of this award at the assembly, in the assembly hall. 1,500 
classmates and students were gathered. And Ed was tentative about this whole thing. He was up for the award. He just wasn't sure if he was going to get it. He writes this. With a full auditorium with over 1,500 students, I begin to entertain questions like, if I win, will I walk funny down the aisle? Will I trip? What if I trip? What will people think? Will they think I'm snobbish, a geek, or jerk for winning this? Will the other deserving people be mad at me? On and on, and he was lost in his own thoughts, paralyzed as it were. Then to Ed's surprise, the announcement was made, and the winner of this year's senior award is Rick Wilson. Rick, how could he? He don't deserve that. Instead of relief, right behind that, what Ed felt was shock. Not only did Rick not deserve it, he thought, it was a sense of shame. Well, now what would people think of me that I didn't win it? Will they think I'm a loser or a failure? Ed's problem is not too different from many of us. The central problem that we have in our lives often is people-pleasing instead of God-pleasing. Our thoughts are dominated by what we think others think of us. People are big and God is small in our eyes. Their opinions far outweigh God's opinion of us. Instead of fearing God alone, you fear man. So, your motivation for doing something or not doing something, for saying something or not saying something, is largely driven by how you calculate the outcome of people's thoughts of you. And so you're paralyzed. Whether it be parenting, how you parent, how you parent in public, your marriage, is it going well, is it not, what you share, what you don't share, speaking the truth, whether you speak and confront a friend lovingly or not, worship, how you worship, do you worship freely or not, and on and on it goes. Why? Why do you pursue excellence? For who are you pursuing excellence or whom? It's a miserable way to live, and it's actually a form of slavery that Paul, I believe, dresses, addresses here in this passage. It's a form that you willingly submit yourself to. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five states this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So what that means is, yes, we are often, we, we can be snared by fear of man, the fear of others, but there is safety in the Lord. So, that means we have hope. That means we're not left in the pit. That means the Lord provides freedom from the pit of people pleasing. And here's our main idea this morning. Your status in Christ liberates you from living under the crushing demands of people pleasing. Your status, who you are in Christ, liberates you from the crushing demands of people pleasing. I'm going to look at it two ways, two points. First, submitting to all authority as you would Christ. And second, pursuing excellence for the glory of Christ. So let's look at that first one. Submit to all authority as you would Christ. Look at verses 5 and 6. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. That's an important phrase. Not by the way of eye service as people pleases, pleasers, 
but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The underlying principle here is first, obeying authority. This is not new to the New Testament. Romans 13 is uh, one prime example of obeying authority that God has set up for us. So in verse 5, Paul states, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Or it could be rendered, masters according to the flesh. He's saying no matter our status, our station, or our circumstance, obedience is essential. Notice Paul doesn't give any other qualification. It's straightforward. Obey your earthly masters. No matter if they're a good master or not. And that is tough. That is tough for us. That is tough for you if you're in a bad situation with a bad boss. He still says, obey. Unless it is contrary to God's word. Unless your boss says something contrary to God's word, we are to obey those who are in authority over us. Instead of leaving it there, Paul goes to the how or manner in which we are to obey. So he doesn't leave it with just behavior. He ventures into the layers of the onion. Let's look at the manner. The next phrase in verse 5 says, with fear and trembling. John Stott, great pastor, preacher, commentator, says, says this, it implies not a cringing servility before a human master, but rather a reverent acknowledgement of the Lord Jesus Christ. This couplet uh, of fear and trembling is used by Paul in several places. He loves to run to it as a phrase for the heart, this position toward the Lord. It comes from Psalm 2, verse 11, which states, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You hear that? Serve with fear and rejoice in trembling. So if we could talk about the fear of the Lord, it is not a quaking, servile fear. It's an awe-filled fear, even of joy. A fear that brings you to worship Him and Him alone. That sees His glory, sees His beauty, sees His truth, and just says, Oh! The one goal is to please Christ Himself. That next phrase in verse 5 is with a sincere heart, which means without hypocrisy, pretense, or double-mindedness. It is an obedience that is purely set on the goal of obeying Christ. Let's look at the motivation. Look at the last phrase of verse 5. As you would Christ. Meaning everything you do is under the lordship of Jesus. Everything. You are under Christ. You are in Christ. He is your Lord, your master, your king. So everything you do in this life is for Jesus. That's a motivation. It's to undergird our motivation, not living for men, because men will never be 100% pleased with our lives. Only Jesus can be pleased through his sacrifice and work for us. Not only what you do is for Jesus, but how you do it. The motivation in which you do things. Again, it's not just the behavior, but the heart behind the behavior. Paul even goes further into the recesses of the heart. Look at verse 6. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. Now this, uh, this word eye service stopped me in my tracks as I studied. 
Uh, I never studied this passage very deeply, but as I studied, I realized this is a mashup word that Paul put together, invented, uh, and used here. And this Greek word is ophthalmodulia. It's a big mouthful, but ophthalmologist, the eye is where we get the word ophthalmologist, ophthalmo. So it's the eye, and then dulia from doulos, slave. You could render this as eye slavery, not just eye service, which, which brings a hammer to what Paul is saying, is that when you do things for eye service to men, and you're thinking about what people think, and you're doing things only for the crowd, and you're not thinking about Christ, is actually eye slavery. You are submitting yourself to a yoke of slavery. It's an amazing term he pulls in here. The point Paul is driving at is this, life lived as a people pleaser, which is Paul's next mashup word, man pleaser, in and of itself is slavery. In 1998, actor Jim Carrey starred in the movie The Truman Show. I remember seeing this movie and thinking, that's absurd. What an absurd way to live. It was actually filmed here in Seaside, about an hour and a half away down at the beach. And the movie begins with Truman Burbank being adopted by a corporation who made Truman's life into a TV reality show. They did this by planting thousands of hidden cameras in his home. And then, in addition to that, the uh, director would send actors in uh, into his life to keep the script going like the director wanted it to go. Unknowingly, Truman lived his life under the eye of millions of people who tuned in and watched and analyzed his every move, which made the, the show back then absurd uh, and yet prophetic in the way we live now. Approaching his 30th birthday, Truman began to see what was going on and made continual efforts to get to break out. He's like, this is not right. <laughs> He's trying to break out of this artificial life, this manufactured life, and intuitively Truman knew that living life under the eye of millions of others was shackling. He was not free. He wanted to live an authentic, free life. Listen, when your motive to do anything is largely shaped by what others will think, then you're submitting to a yoke of slavery. When you worry incessantly about what others think of you, then you're submitting yourself to be pummeled by and paralyzed by fear. You're actually living in an artificial world that is antithetical to the gospel of Christ. So, Paul, knowing that, that, that we're prone to this, he turns a corner. He offers an alternative. Look at the end of verse 6. He says, But as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Remember? Remember what Paul said? You are not your own. You were bought by the blood of Christ. You are His. We are His. We are Christ. And He is a good master. He is perfect. He is kind and he is loving to the point of giving himself for our freedom to the point of death. Paul is tying in the Christian status with the, as the foundational motivation for obedience. 
When you first believe in Jesus, you were born into another realm, the realm of the king of the universe. In other words, your status in this life, your earthly station is not erased. You are who you are. You have a job. You have a family. But yet you live in another realm. You are encased and superseded that your identity is encased and superseded by Christ himself because he has bought you by his blood. He has made you his own. You've been adopted into the family of God. Your Lord is not what other people think or may think of you. No, your true Lord is Jesus Christ and no other. And there's freedom in that. Your aim is to please him alone. All that you do is for Jesus and his glory. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Last, Paul ties this in with the will of God. Obedience to authority is in line with God's will. It's from the heart. It's similar to sincere heart, as we saw earlier. It's obedience in full with a joyful spirit. Let's look at our main point, pursuing excellence for the glory of Christ. We're called to obey, but we're called further than that. We're called to go the second mile for excellence, not just mere obedience. Look with me at verse 7. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Since the slave's true master and Lord is Jesus, and he should obey for the sake of Christ, then it naturally follows that he should pursue not just mere obedience, or just to get the job done, but to do it with excellence, right? Because Jesus deserves not just mere flat obedience, but excellence in our lives. Not perfection. We will never be perfect. This is not earning any salvation. This is giving effort for the glory of God. Our salvation is already earned by Christ. And so that is the motivation to run hard for excellence for Jesus. Quality work flows out of a good heart of serving with goodwill. This term goodwill denotes working with a positive attitude. It's the opposite of human nature, which is prone to doing the least amount of work as possible to finish a job, to do it half-heartedly and haphazardly, and to hope to get the most pay out of it. Also, goodwill counsels out bitterness, malice, and rage against masters and those in authority over us. One theologian states, the slaves' obedience to their masters should arise from their obedience to the inner commitment to the Lord. So that inner commitment to God gives rise to obedience and excellence, those whom we're under. He doesn't even stop there. He says there's actually a reward. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So if you do good, you receive good from God. This is not new. The biblical principle here is one of sowing and reaping. In other words, if you want to plant a garden, you have to put seeds in the ground. And the number of seeds you put in the ground is going to be correlated to the amount of produce you receive. If you want a lot of produce, you put a lot of seeds or plants in the ground. I love growing tomatoes and peppers. And I have to gauge how many I grow because if I have an overabundance they may go bad and we can't use them but if I'm feeding a whole town I may grow a big garden buy some land scatter lots of seed or put lots of plants in 
The principle here is sowing and reaping. What you put into, you get out of. This is a biblical principle. It's not karma. Sowing and reaping. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 states this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Jesus sees all that you do. He sees your terrible situation if you're in one. He honors and rewards you for obeying authority, for doing things with excellence. Why? Because it's for him ultimately. And this is what Paul is trying to get these slaves to see, that they are in a new realm. They are obeying a new master who loves them and has died and rose again for their freedom. This applies to all. Notice how Paul ends this. Look at the last phrase with me. Whether he is a bondservant or free. What Paul is saying, this applies to every one of you that is hearing this letter read. Ephesians. And thus, it applies to us. So whether you're a slave or whether you're free, whatever you do, it's for the Lord. The point is this. How do we get out of this pit of people pleasing? We have to remember the gospel. Christian, you are in Christ. That is a massive phrase. You are in Christ. That is, you have been redeemed, forgiven, freed, adopted, cherished, and loved by the Father, empowered by the Spirit, included in the people of God. This is who you are. At the end of the movie in the Truman Show, as Truman contemplates leaving his world, Christoph, the director, speaks to him directly through a speaker system, tries to persuade him to stay, claiming that there is no more truth in the real world than his artificial, artificial one, where he had nothing to fear. After a moment of reflection, Truman says his catchphrase, which is throughout the movie, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. He bows to his audience and then exits. Listen, there's a real exit for all of us from people-pleasing, for living under the eye of others, for thinking about what others think of us and spending amounts, enormous amounts of time being drowned in that thought. It is the good news of the gospel. You have a future. You have a hope. It is for freedom, freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ is your true Lord and Master. He loves you with an eternal love. Therefore, you are free from living under the microscope of the sinful and faulty opinions of others. You are free from worry and anxiety about what others may think of you. I encourage you to spend no more time on it. They are not your Master. Jesus is your loving and kind Master. May the Lord help us to do this and to live out the freedom that He has purchased for us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I am prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We are all prone to wonder into this artificial shackling world of people pleasing. Keep us from the snare of fearing man and fill us with an, an awe and a trembling and a true and right, worshipful, joyful fear of you so that we may be motivated to run with endurance the race that is set before us. We need your help, Holy Spirit. Help us in our prayer lives to 
make this a point of battle, giving this to you, asking for your aid, reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. Strengthen us, we pray, so that we may be people of the cross, which is to say, people of true freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to respond with the doxology, so please stand together.